0: When my flesh is weak, he is strong, and I, I never want to—I never want to stand and give God's people a word that I don't pour everything I have into it, and I mean that sincerely. I want—I ask the Lord this morning to get me past my physical weakness, so that he might be in this place among his people. You know. God is everywhere. We can't go anywhere to get away from God, but God doesn't have to manifest His presence. If he, do, if he chooses not to, He can turn a deaf ear if He knows our hearts are not in it, right? But I want Him to hear us this morning. And I want that message to be loud and clear. The lost and dying world needs to hear the gospel. Amen? Amen. We're going to take a look. Our our primary text is going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Some very familiar uh, scripture. Uh, The first four verses are are all we're going to read. But while you're turning there, Acts chapter 2 is where I would like you to turn. But I'm going to read you a passage of scripture out of um, Joshua chapter 9. And they don't seem to go together, but we're going to draw it together, I believe, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit this morning. And while you're turning there, I'm going to read that passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 9. The first two verses say this, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coast of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and the Balkamite, I guess, no, no, I didn't, that's wrong, I'm sorry, (laughs) heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord." And those three last words in that verse are what I want us to focus on this morning with one accord. And now we'll go to our main text which is over in the book of Acts chapter 2 and it says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that God, through Your Holy Spirit, we can come together in one accord, one voice, one purpose, one divine appointment to be on this earth in this moment, in this day. That God, that we're not here by accident, we are here by divine design. And that God, no matter what the enemy may throw against us, We've been fighting that same enemy since the garden, since the fall, since sin, since we lost our innocence, God. But you built a bridge back that we could have fellowship with you and with one another, and for that we are eternally grateful. So this morning, God, may we have ears to hear what you have to say to us, and God, may we, may, may we not be discouraged by what we hear, what we see around us, but may we look beyond that through the eyes of faith to the resurrected Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And for it's in His name we pray. Amen. Yeah, thinking about the thought of being in one accord. You know, that word, that word has a, a, a great meaning. It means it, it can be used and it is used as a musical term. That we can be in harmony. It, it, it means to have one breath even. It means that we're expressing ourselves and we're, we're all in unison. And, but sadly, you know, it seems like the church is not as unified as she should be, right? Or could be. I think that's why we have denominationalism. Now, don't get me wrong, I, be- I fully believe that you have to have a biblical stance, but isn't the Word of God enough to stand on? I like the name of this church it's a Bible church. That should be enough. Amen? I believe the Bible, and we say, well, Jeff, now, Everybody says they believe the Bible even though they've got different thoughts on things. I understand that. But you see, there are just a few little... There's a short list of what I, we, we, we'd call essentials, right? If you don't believe these essentials, then you're not Christian, right? But there's some other things that aren't essential that we can all in love agree to disagree on, right? You know, you the Methodist sprinkle and we hold them under till they bubble. Amen? I like that, you know. That's a good thing. We we can we can discuss these things. We can talk about them. We can we can sit down with an open heart and open mind and open Bible and discuss these things, but there are certain things that are non-negotiable, right? Well as long as we're Non-negotiable about the right things, it's a good thing. We're not in one accord many times. The church is not. But I, but I want to tell you, our enemies are always usually in one accord. Even though on the surface it appears like many times they're not because you've got this group over here, you've got that group over there, and they're, they're all after their particular little sort of thing, right? You know, that's what the devil's doing right now in the world, not only in America. He sets brush fires, and everybody runs over here to put that fire out, and while you're putting that one out, he sets another one over here. That's what the news media and the government is doing in America right now. They're setting little fires. And it's easy to get people distracted in the day of social media. When the war between Russia and Ukraine kicked up, everybody became an expert on Ukraine. I didn't know that many people knew about Ukraine. They knew everything about Ukraine, evidently, because they were posting stuff. And man, you could just read all kind of stuff. I didn't know. I've been to Ukraine. They knew stuff I didn't know. Everybody's got an opinion on everything. They jacked the price of gas up. Everybody's talking about gas we became experts on fossil fuels and on, you know, know, everything. It's just the devil distracting us. And though it seems random, and though it seems like they have nothing, they're all interconnected because the devil and the world and our flesh are in one accord to destroy us. And it's high time we realized that, and it's high time that we got in one accord and fought the good fight of faith. There's only one message worth sharing, and it's not the Republican National Committee's platform. It's not President Trump coming back in and saving the day. It's not any of that. It is that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and that He is the only way, and that the only way that I'm going to make it out of here alive and spend an eternity with God in heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that needs repeating over and over and over. So we need to be in one accord. The first thing that we need to recognize, and I just mentioned it, this world is one against us. If you go back through the Old Testament, the, the, the recurring theme is from the Garden that people are going to unite around one thing. They're going to unite against God. It says in uh, Genesis chapter 11, you remember that, the Tower of Babel? What did they say they wanted to do? They came into this land, the land of Shinar. They said, let's stop right here. Let's make some bricks. And that let's build us a house that will reach all the way into the heavens. Let us, there was a lot of us and we in that thing and no God. Let us make a name for ourselves that we may not be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. And then in Psalm chapter 2, which is a messianic psalm, explaining that the world was always going to be against Jesus. They did not want to recognize Him as the King of glory. They did not want to submit themselves to His rule. And that the nations or the people groups is really what it means. It means tribes. The people groups of the earth, the families of the earth, would be in continual conflict with God and with His children. Like the children of Israel were the most hated people on the face of the earth. And really and truly, Jews and Christians are still the most hated people on the face of the planet today. The persecution of Christians worldwide, there have been more Christians dying this century than any other century before. Even during the time, the first century, it was not as bad as it is today. We just don't know much about it because we still live in a somewhat free country. That's rapidly disappearing, but we do live in a free country. We still live, even with all of our problems, we still live in the best country on the planet. Go anywhere, I can take you anywhere else, and it's not that way. We need to fight for it for our grandchildren's sake because hard times are coming. They're here, and they're going to get worse, but I know a God that overcomes it all. So the world has been in perpetual conflict. Psalm chapter 2 says, why do the heathen rage or why do the tribes, the nations rage against God? They say we're going to shake off their shackles. We're not going to submit ourselves to their authority. We're not going to live. And you know what it says, I think in around verse 4 or so of Psalm chapter 2, it says, He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. He will hold them in derision. You know what it's saying? God ain't concerned about them. He knows how to handle it. They think they're in control. That's what the enemy thinks right now, especially in America, with all of this wickedness and all of this evil and all of the things that our own government is trying to do right now against us. God's on His throne and He's looking and He's keeping a tally. There's a record in heaven and don't you think for one second that our God is going to come out on the short end of the stick. He always wins and He always will. But just know this, we are in perpetual conflict. You know, that was what happened to the children. I just got through reading the book of Joshua this morning in my daily reading. And it's amazing what happened to them. They entered the land. They conquered the land. They subdued the land. They were at peace. They were prosperous. Everyone was blessed. And it leaves off with the book of Joshua. Joshua gives his final speech to the people. He's about to pass on. He's 110 years old. He's going home to be with the Lord. And he tells them, you know, you've been a bunch of rebels even though God loves you and even though He's delivered you with a great deliverance and He loves you mightily, you've still been rebellious. And I know some of you right now are worshiping idols. But he said, but as for me and my house, you need to make a choice this morning. But he said, for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And the people said, well, we will too. And Joshua poured some cold water all over that dedication meeting. He said, you can't serve God. I know you. I remember you out there in that wilderness. Y'all were the ones that said, let's turn back and go to Egypt. I remember you. I had to put up with you all those years. He said, God struck Moses' dad dead because of you. You knuckleheads. You don't know God. And they said, oh yeah, we will. We love God. And he said, okay, you better. But the last part of chapter 24, Joshua says, The children of Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the elders that lived during Joshua's time. But then you go off into Judges, and we see a different picture. When all that generation died... They turned back to their idols. They left God. They got under judgment. It was a continual conflict because honestly, we don't really know how to handle, we don't know how to handle peace and prosperity. We need adversity to make us better. When they were having to fight for everything, they knew who God was. And they were dependent for every breath, every drop of water. The manna fell from heaven, but when they became prosperous and their crops were abundant and they had no battles around them going on, what did they do? They got cocky, they got complacent, they got arrogant, they thought it was all about them. They didn't need God. And that's exactly what happened to the United States of America. We were once that city on a hill, and now look where we've fallen. And we don't want to admit it, but I know how to get back. If we would just repent and realize that the conflict never ceased, we just gave up. And we need to get back in the battle and do what God said. Then we also have a perverted purpose because remember what I said about the Tower of Babel? This is what they said. We don't want God to scatter us all over the face of the earth. That's exactly why God put us here. Not to clump us up, but to scatter us abroad so that we might infiltrate and create a harvest that would be a blessing to the rest of the world. You realize if every Christian on the planet lived in one particular place, what would happen to all those lost people out there? And the church has become... It's all about what happens in here instead of going out there. We need to get this idea that we're scattered seed. Unless the seed falls, uh, dies and falls to the ground, it dies alone, right? It abides alone, but when I'm scattered, and I don't like being out there in this old cruel hard world, but that's what God made us for. He designed us to battle the darkness, to get to lost people. To share the gospel. We can't do that all clumped up in one spot. We've got to be cast abroad. We've got to be out there in the world. So we've gone against God's purpose for us and we've also, the enemy has sought to steal. The, psalm 83 is a beautiful psalm also about, it's a prophetic psalm. It's got a nearby fulfillment. It's already taken place, but it also has a futuristic fulfillment that hasn't quite happened yet, and it basically is that the world is still intent on destroying Israel. They're still fighting over that little sliver of land over there. It's amazing. They're still fighting over it to this day. Everything hinges on what happens to that nation for whatever reason. That's God's chosen land. Okay? I don't understand all of it, but I still know they're trying to destroy it. And it says in verse 12 in, in Psalm 83 that they, they desire to steal. Now the King James Version says houses of God, but that's that's not the translation of the word. You don't get the picture. It means pasture land or the Pleasant places are the valuable land. Basically, it's the place where God's presence is the richest. And that's what the devil and the world and our own flesh want to steal from us. Whatever place that is, whatever geographical location you may be in, that doesn't matter. He wants to steal that place where you feel God the most. If He can get you distracted and he can get you to watching television for 14 hours a day instead of focusing on him, he'll do it. If he can take you and you can play Candy Crush for 900 hours straight, like a zombie, and not read your Bible, he'll do it. If he can, think you, he can make you late getting up for work and you don't spend time in prayer with him, he's got you whatever your valuable place is where you sit alone with God. It may be your back porch with a cup of coffee listening to your chickens. That's my happy place. I go there and I hear God. If He can steal that from you, they will. So you need to understand and know the enemy is intent on taking your joy, taking everything away from you. Their intent, they won't give up. But I also know this, the kingdom of God is one. We are united in Him, and the kingdom is worth fighting for. In Joshua, that book I've been reading through, in Joshua chapter 6, you remember Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, You old song? The, J- J- the city of Jericho is a picture of the world. It's a type of the world. The world seems impenetrable. The world is walled up. The world seems like it can't be overcome. But how does the New Testament say we overcome the world? By our faith. And this is what they were crazy enough to do. They would gather up, circle that city, never make a peep. They did that six days and then... The seventh time, they circled her seven times and what did they do? God told them, give a shout. When God's people start praising Him, God does amazing things. They didn't have to do a thing. All they did was praise God. And when we come in here with a spirit of praise, when we come in here excited about what God has done, even though we may be tired and wore out and grouchy and we might be not, Didn't want not want to come. Our flesh said, don't go. You need to stay home and sleep. Our spirit says, go. Our God is worthy of being praised. He is worthy of having His name exalted and lifted up. Go praise God and God will do great things. Simply because we gave Him the honor and respect and love that He is due. We need to praise Him. That's how we battle the world. The world doesn't need more darkness. The world needs light, right? It's easy to sit there on our little spiritual high horse and cluck our tongues about all the darkness, curse the darkness. How about we turn on the light? Because light is a positive reinforcement. Darkness cannot abide where there's light. Did y'all know that? You go into a dark room, you you flip a switch, voila. The dark, where did the darkness go? It can't stay in the presence of the light. We just need to turn on our light. I, I come from a long line of pessimists. Y'all know that? I can get very pessimistic if I, if I want to. But I choose not to. That's a, that's a volitional act, by the way. You can give in to your flesh and stay pessimistic, Right? I choose not to. And every time that I get pessimistic for a little while, it always shames me. And I always go back to God and say, I'm sorry. I did it again. But you know what God says? He never runs me off. He says, I'm tired of you. You keep doing this. Don't come back. He always just says, Okay, son, I love you. Keep on going. Turn on your light. Be a positive force in this, this world of darkness. We battle the world by our faith, praising God for who He is, and we battle the flesh. If you'll think, of, go back and read Joshua. It's a great book. In chapter seven and eight, they moved from, they took Jericho, no problem, but God told them something. He said, now. I don't want you to take anything. I want you to give it to me. That's for me. Well, there was one man named Aiken that saw some stuff that he wanted and he went and hid it in his tent, dug a little hole in the ground, put some stuff over it, hid it, thought he'd got away with it. Well, then they go to Ai, this little town. It's, it's, not, it's about as big as Wisner, probably, or Gilbert. Yeah, Wisner's bigger than Gilbert. It's about Gilbert. And they they look around and they say, we don't need to send everybody there. Send two or three thousand. They go in there and they get raked over the coals and then they come back and Joshua, he's squalling, God, why'd you do this? And you know what God told Joshua? He said, stand up, there's sin in the camp. And you say, well, how did one man's sin affect everybody? That's what it does. It starts out small. And you think, my sin only affects me. If I smoke a carton of cigarettes a day, that only affects me. No, it doesn't. It affects everyone in your family because when you die a slow, agonizing death of lung cancer, your children and your wife and your spouse, they have to tend to you. That's how that works. Sin doesn't stop with you. Sin goes on and on and on and on and it destroys everything in its path. And they were like, we, we, we didn't think it was that big of a deal. Sin is a huge deal. And you know what has to happen to sin? It's got to be annihilated. It can't be toyed with. You can't keep it for a pet. You can't unleash it when you get ready. You need to kill it. And guess what happened to Achan? And not only Achan, and I hate to say this, because I don't understand God sometimes. His wife, his children, his animals, his livestock, everything he had, they destroyed it. Because you know what? It was tainted with Achan's sin. And if we don't take sin seriously in our own lives, We'll toy with it and it will burn us. Sin cannot be toyed with. It's got to be destroyed. The kingdom is worth fighting for, but what do we have to do? We battle the world by our faith, but we annihilate sin by the cross. The cross is the only thing to deal with sin. You realize that? Paul, that's why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. What he was saying was, I am being daily crucified with Christ. Because he said later on in the book of Philippians, I'm not there yet. I, you know, I've still got some things. I'm, God's working through me. I haven't arrived, but I'm pressing on, right? I'm not looking back, but he was daily crucifying the flesh. And you and I have to crucify the flesh every day. And then in chapter 9 that I just read the first two verses, we come upon the people called the Gibeonites. And this was a group of people that had heard about everything that was being done, saw all these people uh, being annihilated by the Israelites, and they said, you know what? We need to deceive them. We need to tell them we're from way off. We need to make a peace treaty with them before they get here. So what they did is they put on some old clothing, old shoes, took some moldy bread and they they come up to them. You don't have to. Don't don't kill us. We heard about y'all. We're from way over yonder. Well, we came. We want to serve your God too. And they didn't consult with the Lord. They took them at their word. They looked at their moldy bread. They, did, they looked at their clothing. They said, we'll make a deal with you. That's just like the old devil, right? The devil came along in the garden and made a deal. You can't make a deal with the devil. The devil's out to get you. He's out to kill you. He wants to destroy you. So we can't make a deal with the devil... What we need to do is rather realize that the devil is already a defeated foe. And we need to let the Lord put him underneath our feet. We don't need to play with him. That's God's battle. Amen? Jesus took our sin. He paid the price. He defeated Satan at the cross. He came forth out of an empty tomb. Thank God. Jesus is alive and well. So what you need to do from the devil is flee from the devil. Flee to Jesus and Jesus will fight your battle for you. Amen? Let Him fight it. The kingdom is worth obtaining but we've got a battle for it. And we've got a battle for it God's way. And the last thing I want to say very quickly is this. Back to our, our main text. The Holy Spirit is the one that came to unify us. He comes because we're in one accord. Did you notice what our text said? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were already in one accord when the Holy Spirit came. We talk about having revivals. Y'all ever had an old-fashioned revival meeting around here? Churches don't have them much anymore. I loved them. I wish they were two weeks long again. We need one where we put aside the cares of the world and we focus on getting back right with God. It doesn't say though that they had revival because the Holy Ghost came to make them have revival. It says they were already in one accord in one place. In other words, we need to get ourselves in a a manner, in a place where we can receive something from God and then He'll come. Lisa doesn't play the piano to tune it she plays beautifully because the piano has been properly tuned. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to make us one. He comes because we're one. We've submitted ourselves and said, God, here we are. We're helpless without you. But if I've got my own agenda and Sister Better Than You's got her own agenda and the first self-righteous church implodes, it's not the Holy Ghost's fault. Amen? Amen? It's because we were not in one accord desiring God to do a work in our life. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force our hand. He comes because we're in one accord. You want to know what real revival is? It's not scheduling a series of meetings. Real revival is when God's people get serious about having the presence of God in their midst and He can come anytime He wants to. Without fanfare, without anything, we don't have to have someone come in here to artificially give us revival. We can leave this place this morning in one accord. And God will fulfill His promises. He does it every time. Do we really, the question I guess is, do we really want it? Because I believe if we're in one accord, He'll come. And I want you to know something else. No no offense to our Pentecostal brethren. The Holy Spirit didn't come and go. He comes and stayed. It's not about emotions. It's not about that. The Holy Spirit came to stay. And if I'm truly born again, He's there on my worst day just as much as He is my best day. And He transforms us. And He changes us. And He speaks. And that's how the world sees Jesus is through the manifested presence among His people scattered over the face of the earth. Because you know the one thing that Jesus couldn't do that was so important, that's why He kept prepping them for His death. He could not be everywhere at once when He was in His human body, right? But you see, now the amazing thing is Jesus is everywhere through the holy spirit in dwelling god's people. I've been to India, I've been to Africa, I've been to Ukraine, I've been to Mongolia, I've been to uh, Central America, I've been to Mexico, I've been I've been all kind of places and I've seen God everywhere and God speaks different languages. He speaks Hindi, he speaks Mongolian, he speaks Chinese, he speaks American, he speaks Southern English. Praise God. (laughs) He saved this redneck. But he's everywhere this morning. He's in the depths. He's in the furnace. He's fighting for us. And the least we can do is present ourselves in one accord before him and say, God, do an amazing work among your people. The only question I ask you to leave you with this morning is do we really want it?